glad about this? I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Oh, I am who you say I am. Yes, I am who you say I am. Who the sun sets free. Oh, and free in thee. I'm a child. chapter 4, you know, it's one thing for you to say you believe what a Christian should believe, but to actually live like a Christian should live is something entirely different. You, do, do you know anybody who claims to be a Christian, but doesn't live like it? Don't look around. Look right up here. Somebody might be looking at you. You never know. Um, belief affects behavior, or at least it should. We spent last fall in a series in Ephesians called Identity. And in that series, we covered the first three chapters where we talked about who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to dive into the rest of the book, chapters 4 through 6. And the final three chapters of Ephesians, it moves from belief to behavior, from doctrine to duty. Uh, This is what it actually looks like to live As a Christian, we sang a little bit ago, I am who you say I am. And Ephesians 1 through 3 tells us who we are in Christ and what we have in Christ. But now we move into how that impacts our life and how we should live as Christians. How we should live as believers. And, 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 you know, we're going to be given the major spheres of life to, to talk about here. And how to live for Christ in those spheres. We're going to talk about our home life. We're going to talk about our church life. We're going to talk about our work life or school life. And we're calling this particular series in Ephesians as we seek to finish up the book, we're calling it simply Shine. Shine. I think that's a good description of what we're supposed to do as Christians. We're supposed to shine. I took it from Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8. In Ephesians 5, 8, it says, For you were once darkness... But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. I love that. Walk as children of light. In other words, shine. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 5.16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
Walk as children of light. Shine. You know, walking is a great description of the Christian life. We see that idea of walking elsewhere in the Scripture. You'll see it again as we're about to read from Ephesians here in today's passage. And the idea of walking is the idea of steady progression. You're not standing still. You're not going backward. And you're not even leaping or running. You're walking. There's that steady progression. Walking, walking, walking. And we're to walk as children of light. In our passage today, we're going to see three elements Three elements of our walking as Christians, of our life as Christians, as living as a follower of Christ. You've got Ephesians 4 by now, I hope. We want to go and read the first 16 verses. You'll follow along as I read in your copy of the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 16. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. You know, we noticed some of that as we sang our, one of our hymns today, talking about oneness and our hope. Verse number 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now again, I want to show you three elements or three parts or um, three things that should be evident in our walking and living as Christians from this passage. How we're supposed to live. And I want you to notice, first of all, that we're supposed to walk in unity. We're supposed to walk in unity. Paul, right away here in the very first verse of chapter 4, he says there, walk worthy of your calling. And then he shows us what that looks like. And he, he, it revolves around the theme of unity. You notice over and over again the word one. 
And by the way, when you're reading your Bible and you're doing your own personal Bible study, look out for that type of thing where you see the same word appearing over and over and over again. And we see that word one, 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 one. Now, this whole idea of unity, there's something that's of vital importance that you need to understand. Notice this unity does not begin or originate with us. Notice we're not called to manufacture the unity or come up with the unity or even create the unity. In fact, verse 3 says we're endeavored to keep it. We're to keep the unity. Not make it up, not come up with it, but keep it. So where does it come from? Where does this unity, where to walk in unity, where does it come from? Well, look at verse 3. It says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and that is the Holy Spirit. We're unified by the Spirit of Christ. We're unified by the Holy Spirit of God. In Christ, we are one. Years ago, you'll remember several of you in here, years ago in our community, we had a church that was vandalized and horribly desecrated. And I remember when I received news that Danielle and I, we went over and we visited the church. Some of their people were there. In fact, later on, we would, as a church family, go and help bring about restoration to their church and clean up and repair and and so forth. But I remember that day as Danielle and I were there and we walked into the church, we walked into the sanctuary and we saw what the vandals had done to this place. And I don't want to give you all the details because it's just so unbelievable what took place in the church. And we walked through the facility and I'll be honest with you, tears came to my eyes. So I remember going in that church that day. When I came out, a reporter from the Charlotte News television station was there and they wanted to ask me some questions. And I remember that the reporter, she came and she had two primary questions for me that day. The first question, if I remember correctly, that she asked me, and and this is the gist of what she said, I'm not quoting her, but this is what she kind of came up with, do you pastor primarily a white church? That was the question she wanted me to answer. And upon learning that I did, her second question ran along these lines. Basically, why would you be concerned with a church that's primarily black in nature? By the way, that was a loaded question. She was hoping that I would say something newsworthy and something that they could take and use to build their ratings. And I'm thankful the Lord gave me wisdom in that moment and my answer to her basically was this. Because we are one in Christ. We're one in Christ. You see, Christ breaks down barriers that shouldn't be there anyway, but in Christ it does. The barriers that separate us. That is the beauty of the body of Christ. In a church like this, there could be people of different colors and different and nationalities and different social standings and different all kinds of things. But we're brought together not because of the things that we do or the things that we're like, humanly speaking. No, we're brought together. We're one in Christ. 
And every believer who trusts Christ and is a follower of Christ is part of the body of Christ. Now, this is a local, we're a local body of believers. But there is that what we call the universal church or the, the body of Christ, which is made up of every single person who trusts Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we see the oneness here. Let's walk through these one um, uh, phrases here. It says that we are one body. Well, that's, of course, the body of Christ. That is that universal church made of all believers who love and trust Christ. And then it says there's one Spirit. That is talking about God the Holy Spirit. And by the way, God the Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not a thing. God the Holy Spirit is a person, a part of the Trinity, a part of the Godhead. He's God the Holy Spirit. There's one Spirit. And then it says there's one hope. We have a unified hope in Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus did what we're told that He did. He's doing what He's doing at the moment. We believe that. And we believe He's going to do what He's promised to do. We have that hope that He'll do what He said. We have that hope that this is not all there is. That things are going to be set right. That things are going to be perfect one day. Because we have that hope in Christ. That one hope. And then it says we have one Lord. And of course, there's only one Lord. And His name is Jesus. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And then we have, it says, one faith. And this is not talking primarily, I don't believe, about our trust in Christ. It's talking about the faith. That is that system of doctrine once delivered to the saints that we have. We have one faith. And then it says we have one baptism. Uh Uh-oh. One baptism? Now, we get one Lord, we get one faith, we get one body, we get one hope. But preacher, are you aware that there are all sorts of ways that people are baptized? I am. I didn't grow up Southern Baptist. I grew up as an evangelical Methodist. And people are baptized in various ways. Some people are immersed, as we believe. Some people are sprinkled. Some people are, have water poured on them. I used to have a document. I may have it somewhere in my, probably my computer files now. I probably scanned it. I think it was 17 different ways that the church has baptized people. You know, three times backwards, three, I don't know, just all kinds of ways. They might even put them head first. I don't know. That'd probably be better on a lot of people. Just <laughs> put them in head first. It might straighten them out. We believe in immersion. We believe that's the biblical method. We don't apologize for that. But we recognize that other groups, they see things differently. And, and so how can we say that there's one baptism if, if people are baptized in various ways? Well, there's a couple of options this might be talking about. Number one, this may not be talking about water baptism at all. This may be talking about the Spirit's baptism. That is, the Bible teaches that when a person puts their faith in Christ, God the Holy Spirit baptizes that person into the body of Christ. If you want to jot the reference down, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. I'll read it from the NLT. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one Spirit, and we all share the same Spirit. That is the Spirit's baptism. We don't see that take place, but that's what happens. That is the moment that you come to faith in Christ 
and you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit baptizes you, places you into the body of Christ. But this could be talking about water baptism. So how in the world can we say that there is one baptism if people are immersing people and people are pouring and sprinkling and, you know, whatever? Well, you have to understand, when you look at the practices and the beliefs across the board, primarily whatever method is chosen, and again, we do immerse here, baptism almost always pictures identity with Christ. When a person is baptized, they're being identified with Christ. There is that oneness. Whether they do it the way we believe that they should according to the Scriptures or they do it a different way, the one baptism there could be the fact that they're identifying with Christ. It goes on to say that there's one God and Father. All true believers are part of the family of God. We used to sing that a lot, almost every Sunday here. So we would do fellowship time. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And it says that God is above all. He's through all and in us all. He is God alone. We could could just stop and camp out there. But we've been given this, this unity. We didn't create it. We didn't come up with it. We didn't manufacture it. It's ours because of Christ. And we're told to keep it. So the question is, how do we keep? Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit of Christ in the bond of peace. How do we do it? We'll go back to verse number 2, and it reveals how we're to do it. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. The Rodney Standard Version, I would translate the end of that verse, putting up with one another in love. (laughs) The NLT, let me read it to you in that. It really makes it really plain. Ephesians 4.2 Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with, with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. So how do we endeavor to keep the unity of Christ and the Spirit and the bond of peace? Well, real simple. Humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another, putting up one another. Uh Uh-oh. We're commanded to keep the unity, but that requires patience, humility, gentleness, and putting up with one another. Do those words describe us? Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. I can tell you if you go on Twitter and you begin looking at the SBC circles, and you look up at folks that are on Twitter and the SBC, I, I'll just tell you from what I've observed and what I've seen, I, I guarantee you these words don't describe that. You, you don't see much humility and gentleness and patience and bearing one another. You can go to some churches today and, and you say, well, do these words describe that church? A resounding no, it does not. That church is not known for its humility or its gentleness or its forbearance or, or, or it's patience at all. They're fussing and fighting. 
Why? Because let's be honest about it. When you get people together, sooner or later, you have some friction that develops. It's just, it's just going to happen. If you live in a family situation, if there's anybody else in your house besides you, you understand this. You get some people together and that friction begins to, to start to go to work. And after a while, when there's friction, things begin to heat up. And if you're not careful, things will just kind of blow up. Because you get people together, there's going to be problems. Let's just be honest about it. I mean, you love them, but boy, they can get on your nerves. Don't sit there all sanctimonious and gnarling. I can ask your family members. They'll tell on you. The truth of the matter is, you can get on each other's nerves. Quit smacking your food. Turn the TV down. Clean up your mess. Leave me alone. You don't believe me. Get Those of you who still have kids at home or grandparents, you get your grandkids and go on a long road trip. A long road trip. You, won't, you may not make it out of the state unless you're going to South Carolina. And that friction builds. And sooner or later, it boils over. It happens in church. I wish she'd quit asking so many questions in Bible study. We're never going to get out of here. I wish he would quit clicking his pen. i got to find a new seat. Somebody behind me cannot sing and they think they can. We get on each other's nerves. We love each other. But whenever you have people together, you have problems. So how do we maintain the unity of the Spirit? If it requires humility and gentleness and patience and putting up one another, some would be honest they just say, I'm doomed. I cannot do that. And you know what? You're right. By yourself, you cannot do it. By myself, I cannot do it. In our flesh, we cannot do it. In our own strength, we cannot do it. Now, you've got to remember here that we need help. And the good news is we have help. Why? Because it says, endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. That is the Holy Spirit. Let me put a verse, let me put it up on the screen today. I want you to notice Ephesians 4.2. It says, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love. Remember, this is the unity of the Spirit. And we look at that and we think, well, I'm defeated. I'm in trouble. Let me put up another passage for you with that passage. I want you to look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. This is the fruit of the Spirit. But I want you to notice as those two passages together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such there is no law. Do you notice any similarities between those two passages? You see, beloved, that's because we cannot do this on our own. We cannot keep the unity of the Spirit in our own strength. 
We have to have the Holy Spirit. We've got to yield control to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to develop this in our lives. Listen, there are some people in life and some people in church that you're going to struggle to love. I mean, let's just be honest about it. There are some people in life that you struggle to like. You see them in the store, you go the other way. You don't like them. And so that's why we've got to pray that God the Holy Spirit will help us. God, help me to have gentleness and patience. Help me to put up with other people in love. Help me to yield my rights for them. Help me to be humble in this situation. We're to walk in unity. We could keep going on that one. We've got two more to get through and get you out on time. Three elements that should be evident in our lives, in our Christian walk. First of all, we walk in unity. It's a major theme here in this part. But I want you to notice, secondly, that we're to walk personally. We're to walk personally. Now, this may sound strange because we've been talking about the unity in the body of Christ and the corporate element of the church. But Paul moves from everyone to each one in verse number 7. Did you notice that? In verse number 7 says, but, but to each one of us. The individual. Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, I want you to remember this. Unity is not uniformity. So many people go wrong here. Unity is not uniformity. Uniformity means that everybody in the church should look alike. Everybody in the church should talk alike. Everybody in the church should believe exactly the same thing in every area of life. Uniformity is get in line, get in the group. No individuality at all. And that is not what Paul is teaching. That's not what God desires. We are individuals. We are different. We are diverse. And that is a good thing. I'm so glad that we are. Man, if we all had to be exactly the same in every element, how boring would that be? Now, some people want that. And they believe and and maybe even teach that. You come into their church, you better act like us, walk like us, talk like us, dress like us, be exactly like us. That's uniformity, not unity. Like, like harmony in music. Like harmony in music. The unity of those individuals singing harmony creates beauty. Different but brings about Beauty. Paul goes on here in this passage to talk about the work of Jesus and he is paraphrasing Psalm 68, verse 18. Talking about Jesus descending and then ascending. And you have this whole idea of Jesus. He, he came to earth. He descended from glory. And then He went back to heaven in victory. And then it says that He gives us not only grace, but He gives us gifts. This, we believe, has the idea of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts that are given to individuals. Now, we can't camp out long here. Really, spiritual gifts, we could talk about that as a separate message or even a set of messages. That could be a series on its own. But suffice it to say today that the Bible teaches that if you're a child of God, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you've not only been given the grace of God, you've not only been given salvation, You've been given at least one spiritual gift. You can read about spiritual gifts in Romans chapter 12, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and 1 Peter chapter 4. 
Give you that again, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4, and of course here in Ephesians 4. And it says that these gifts are given to the body of Christ to benefit the body and build it up. Look at verse 16. You still in Ephesians 4, verse 16. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So think about your body today. Made up of many different parts. And there's a unity among those parts. And when each part does what it's supposed to do, it builds up, edifies, and blesses the body. So when my eyes are working, they're an important part of my body. I'm able to see and receive. And messages are sent through and to my brain. My brain is functioning correctly. Some of you doubt that, but I think it is. My mouth, my nose, my digestive system, my feet. What You think about your body and every part. If we were to ask you today, what part of your body would you be willing to give up? Some of you say, I give up the fat. Well, I understand that. But we're talking about, let's talk about organs for a moment. Which one do you, you know, what do you want to give up today? Well, I don't want to give up anything because God put all these parts together and I need these parts to carry forth my body. And that's the idea here, beloved. God has placed us into the body of Christ and we have a part, a role to play. And when we play that role and do what God has called us to do as He's gifted us to do it, we bless the entire body. When we don't, we don't. And I'm convinced that churches are made up of a lot of people that are not playing their role, playing the part that God has called them, and everybody suffers because of it. You have a place and a role in the body, dear Christian. We're to walk personally. So there's unity, but it's not uniformity. No, it's unity because we're unified. We're one in Christ. But we bring to that body a spiritual gift. We also bring our natural gifts and abilities and the things that God has given us, our person. And we're to be a blessing. So when people come to join the church, you know, we might ask them a question on the lines of, you know, where do you feel that God has gifted you in, in serving and so forth? Why? Because when they join the body of Christ, there's an expectation on both parts. Number one, you joining as a member, we expect you to minister your gift in this place. And number two, the rest of the body will minister their gift in return to you. And there's that mutual edification. Edification is just building up. Blessing. Making better. So a person comes in, they're saved, they're baptized, they come in, they join the church, they're, they're bringing with them their person, and they're bringing with them their gifting from Christ, from the Holy Spirit. And they're to use that gift within the body of Christ, and not just in these four walls, but anywhere they are. And as they come in and join the body, the church... Everybody else has various gifts. Everybody's ministering to each other. And what happens? The body is blessed. But some don't use their gifts. And the body misses out. Just like in our body, some things go wrong at times. And when something goes wrong, it impacts the whole body. You say, well, it's not a big deal. It is. You ever had an ingrown toenail? Just a little thing. But it impacts the body. 
Ever had a toothache? It's just a small tooth compared to the rest of you. Impacts the body. Your vision begins to slip. It impacts the body. When things are functioning at their normal pattern, it blesses the body. We're to walk personally. Thirdly, we're to walk in maturity. Paul gives four types of gifted people here that God gifts to the church. Ephesians 4.11 And He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. You say, well, preacher, I think you miscounted. There's five there. But if you go back in the original language, the last two, pastor and teacher, uh, grammatically they, they should be one office, pastor, teacher. So he gave apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastor teachers. I believe as we study Scriptures, we look at things that the first two are no longer active in the church. In other words, today we don't have any apostles and we don't have any prophets. You say, why? Well, their role is no longer needed in the church. You say, why why is their role no longer needed? Because we have the founding of the church and we have the completed Word of God. For instance, apostles had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. That was one of the requirements for being an apostle. They performed miracles. Personally, I don't believe that they're apostles today. Secondly, prophets, they served as the mouthpiece of God. Remember, there's not always been a completed canon of Scripture and Bible. The Bible was written throughout the years as God the Holy Spirit inspired men of God to write down His message. But now that we have the church, the body of Christ, now that we have the Bible, I don't believe we need those founding gifts of apostleship and prophet today. But the second set are alive and well. That is evangelists. Evangelists are those who are gospel preachers. A lot of you, when I say an evangelist, you probably think of Billy Graham, who was an evangelist who went around preaching the gospel. Evangelists might include in that category missionaries who go and they share the gospel and they plant churches. Church planners could fall under the the banner of an evangelist. That is, they're going out, sharing the gospel, establishing churches, and helping to spread the good news. And then there's the gift of the pastor-teacher. One office, we believe in the Greek, and, and these are shepherds who care for the flock, the body of Christ, and teach believers the truth. The pastor is the picture of a shepherd. The teacher, of course, is teaching doctrine. And some people have the mistaken notion that pastors and preachers, pastor-teachers are the professionals. They get paid. It's their job to do the work of the ministry. That's really what a lot of people think. I read this past week about one pastor went to a church and at the conclusion of whatever it was they were doing, I don't know if it was a service or whatever, he asked one of the deacons to pray to close out the service. And he said, that's what we pay you to do. How he became a deacon, I don't know. But, but the Scripture here says, <laughs> my job is not to do all the ministry. My job is to help you to do the ministry. Look at verse number 12. He gave pastor-teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why? Because it's too much for one person. And so, my primary responsibility is to, is to pray and to preach. And to equip you. 
to do the work of the ministry. And as all of us do that, the body is edified and built up and blessed. My job is to help you do your job. And together we do the job together. We build the body of Christ. God wants us to minister. God wants us to be mature. Now let me read this last part part to you, then we're going to pray. I want to read this to you in a different translation just so you can hear it. I want you to notice the maturity that's talked about here in the ministry. Let me read to you Ephesians 4, those last few verses again from the NLT. Verse 13. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we'll be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Listen, verse 14. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. And by the way, the new teaching is coming out over and over. It's mostly old, false beliefs repackaged. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of His body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You get the picture here? I like the way Richard Phillips summarized it. The Bible presents us with a simple and profound model for building the church. The pastor is to teach God's Word faithfully. That Word will equip the saints And as they minister in Christ's power with all the variety of their spiritual gifts, our Lord Jesus will build His church. See, we all have a part to play. Are you playing your part? First of all, that means that you're a part of the body. That is, you're saved. If you're not saved, you can't contribute as you... Maybe even would like because you're not spiritually gifted. Because you don't even have the Spirit residing in you. Are you a part of the body? And then secondly, are you maturing in Christ? Are you taking in the Scriptures and growing in your most holy faith so you can? I love the King James or the New King James here at one point just said, grow up. We're to grow up. How do we do it? We take in Scripture. And then thirdly, are you serving in the body of Christ? Are you using your spiritual gift or gifts in the body of Christ to bless others? As believers, we not only believe right, we're to behave in a way that God tells us to. That means walking in unity, walking personally, and walking maturely. Using what Christ has given us to build up the body of Christ. Father, we love you today. We praise you and thank you for this time. I pray that you'll minister to hearts and lives. I pray that you would have your will and way accomplished in this church. Help us to be biblical in our understanding and our practice. Help us, Lord, to all be using the gift that you've given to us to be a blessing to others and to build up the body of Christ. Lord, if anybody here does not know Christ as Savior, I pray your Holy Spirit to bring them to Christ even today. Perhaps others, they need to come and get some things right in their own life. And then maybe others need to begin using their gifts 
for the good of the body and for your glory. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymns, 544.